Matt called yesterday afternoon and asked if uh, I might be able to stand in for him. And um, I have to confess, this is going to be a sermon out of the barrel. But it's on the top. I've only preached this twice, so, you know. Third's the charm. Third's the charm. Um, also, just to tell you, as I was going over the notes and, and trying to prepare myself for this morning, I recognize that a lot of things that uh, the Lord kind of set before me in the scriptures that we're looking at are a lot of things that Matt has been talking about for some time. And so in some ways, this may just be a collection of some of Matt's sermons that we've condensed into one. And, and we can just take some of the nuggets that uh, he has set before us and, and consider possibly just another approach of um, how to apply God's word to us as his church, the body of Christ. I really feel uh, that I need to start with prayer. If you'll just join me in prayer, I'd appreciate that. Lord, first we do think of Matt, and we ask that even now uh, he senses the prayers that have been expressed on his behalf, and even as we join our hearts together at this time. And it's not, Lord, it's not stepping in for Matt. It's, again, assuming the responsibility of setting before your people your word. And I pray that that is exactly what happens, and it isn't the uh, presentation of a man, but it truly can be the very words coming from you through the Holy Spirit. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It was, uh, this sermon came out of an assignment that was given to me some time ago, and it, it hasn't been an easy assignment. And matter of fact, it's been one that I've been probably working on for some time and, and more than likely will continue to work on it for a while. And I was asked if I could uh, just tell you in a short, uh, I guess, sentence or two, what is the church? And uh, I haven't been able to do that in a short sentence or two. Matter of fact, it'll take me about 20 minutes this morning to do it. But I really do believe it's for us as Christians, as members of the body of Christ, to come to grips with what, what it is that Jesus has asked us to be as his church. As what Jesus means when he says, you are the church. I came across a, a, a story that uh, I think in some ways illustrates what the church has become. Understanding that this isn't necessarily what Jesus meant. But I think in some ways it truly illustrates what we have made the church to be. The story is told of a, a little community that was wrestling with uh, the, the future of their ministry as they had historically been involved in an outreach ministry, a soup kitchen. And they were going to have the annual auction and collect all the money and, and decide what they were going to do with it at the annual meeting. Well, the annual meeting came, and there were some in the church that wanted to purchase new carpet for the sanctuary. And there were others in the church that wanted to make certain that the money went to the soup kitchen, and they would continue this outreach ministry. And there was some wrangling going on in the business meeting. And finally, there was an old-timer in the group, been around a while, and he, he stopped the group and he said, you know... I want to tell you a story that might remind us again of what our mission is all about. And he talked about a little village that was on the rocky shoreline of New England that um, took it upon themselves to be sensitive to what could be a, a very dangerous situation in the fact that there would be a number of shipwrecks off the coast. And so this small group of people decided to get themselves a boat. And when there was a shipwreck, they would go out uh, with their boat and rescue the sailors and bring them in and take care of them. And, 
and, and they were really successful at this. And, and they, this little group began to grow, and they bought more boats. And as they kept on growing, they had to build a bigger building. And pretty soon, they had all these boats and this big building, and they decided, you know, they were kind of getting tired of going out in the water, and so they hired some professional rescuers. And these rescuers are part of this group, and, and they kind of became like a club, you know? They gathered together, a ship had gone down, they send out the rescuers. And one day, there was a real big ship that went down. And there were a lot of people who were struggling just to, to, to survive, and the rescuers went out and brought a whole bunch of people into the clubhouse. <laughs> and uh, they cleaned them all up and put them on their feet again. And one of the members came in afterwards and saw what a mess things were. These people just made a mess of the place. And so they decided what they ought to do was put a shower outside and, and clean up those who have been rescued before they bring them into the clubhouse. Or the clubhouse would be such a mess that nobody wanted to be a part of their club anymore. Well, this obviously created quite a bit of tension within the club. And so there were those who decided to leave. And they went down the shoreline. And just a few of them, and not a whole lot of skills, but they built a ramshack of a place and bought a boat, and they would go out and rescue people that were perishing. And lo and behold, they got pretty good at it, and they bought more boats, and they built a bigger building, and they hired some professional rescuers, and... They had another club. And to this day, the shoreline is just dotted with clubs all up and down the rocky coastline. I tell you that story because I think that's what our culture, our country, Western civilization has made the church. A clubhouse. Boy, we like getting together. And, and, and we really want to keep things, you know, in good shape. And we want things to be predictable. And we want to eliminate as much risk as possible. And, and when we're really tested, well, we'll leave it to the professionals to take care of it. I, I have to tell you, with all sadness, I've seen churches around the world. And there are a good number of them that really gravitate to this idea of their own little club. And that's not what Jesus meant at all when he established his church. If we come to grips with it, just as you go back to that original little ramshack of a place with one boat and a few people dedicated to save those who are lost, that's what church is all about. It's taking a risk. It's going into the world. It's laying your life on the line for the very thing that Jesus did for you and me. Willing to die for the cause of Christ. Willing to, to give up our, our comfort, comfortableness to save someone who is totally lost and don't have, don't, doesn't have a clue of what's happening. So instead of me playing with analogies and allegories and parables and trying to make a, some kind of sense out of a story... Let me point you to the scriptures, because I believe this is really where we find the definition of the church. I want to just, again, highlight a couple of verses before we look at the text. There are a couple of places in the scriptures, specifically in Colossians, where Jesus says, He is the head, I'm sorry, Paul says, He is the head of the body, the church. 
Jesus is the head of the church. Let's remember that. It's also Jesus himself said to Peter during that great period of, of, of recognizing the, the, the messianic purpose of Christ. And, and Peter said, you are the son of God. And, and Jesus said, I will build my church. It's not our church. It's not uh, the Baptist church. It's not the Methodist church. It's not the Advent Christian church. It is Christ's church. And I believe the church in America needs to re- recover that understanding of whose church this really belongs, who, whose church it really is. Who is the head of the church? There's a familiar passage in Ephesians 5, 23 and 24 that is a reference as to what the relationship is to be between a husband and a wife. And, and the, the husband is supposed to love his wife as he loves the church. But listen to this. For the husband is the head of the wife, listen, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Jesus, the head of the church, the church, his body. The church is to be the body of Christ. The church is to be Christ incarnate. The church is to be seen by the world as it is as appointed by Christ in this world. He goes on to that same, uh, that same passage. Now, as the church submits to Christ, we as members of the body of Christ are in a position of where we must submit ourselves to him. Individually and corporately. It isn't, church isn't about me. Church isn't even about you. Church isn't even about us. Church is about Jesus Christ. Singularly or collectively, we must submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is his body. You've heard it said that we as a church are supposed to be his hands and feet. I won't argue that point. But I think it goes much, much farther than that. When we are told to have the attitude of Christ, when we are to have the compassion of Christ, when we are supposed to be the ears and the eyes that looks over a world and sees those who are in need of Christ, it suggests to me, just as the body is made up of many members, so we as a body have many members to employ in the work of the church. We are to be the eyes of Christ. We are to be the ears of Christ. We are to be the voice of Christ. We are to make the proclamation of what Jesus Christ is all about. Of why he came into this world. To save us. And to save those who are lost. Okay, here's the meat. That was just the appetizer. Turn to Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. I want to read this passage of scripture to you and let you follow along. And they, devoted, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I think this is a perfect description of what the church is to be. Uh, I can say that with all confidence because this is the establishment of the first church in the New Testament, of them coming together 
coming together to do what? First, to give themselves to uh, submitting themselves to the teaching of the apostles. It said, they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. I want you to understand the word devoted. The original Greek means continuing steadfastly, persevering, continually sticking to it, and not letting up. These believers, as they were under the teachings of the apostle, they weren't, they weren't drawn to the apostle. They were submitting themselves to the teachings of the apostle. They let the very words that were given to these apostles by the Holy Spirit, these men and women who had witnessed the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to pass on to them the very things that they had received from Christ, to fulfill the great commission where they are supposed to teach what Jesus taught, to the point that it defined their life. It, it, it was the very thing that governed, that gave them the parameters of which they were supposed to exercise life, creating boundaries of what was right and what was wrong, what was the, what was the truth and what was false. It also says this, it wasn't a devotion to the apostles, it was a devotion to the teaching. Now, we've all been exposed, uh, and I think you can obviously see it particularly through some of the media today, of some very powerful teachers of the word. And I commend those who are true to the gospel, true to the scriptures, true to God's word. At the same time, we've got to be careful that we are not lured or attracted to the charisma of the person, that somehow this, this person has our allegiance over the very thing that Christ wants to set before us. We are not devoted to the teacher. We are devoted to the teaching of Jesus Christ. Paul was very specific about this in Acts 14. I think he was in Lystra at the time. There was a lame man there, and, and Paul and Barnabas are together on a missionary trip, and, and Paul gives this man his new legs. This guy gets up and walks. And the people want to make Paul and Barnabas gods. And this is what Paul says after healing the lame man. He tears his garment and proclaims, We also are men of like nature with you. We bring you good news. It's not about me or Barnabas. We're people just like you. All we have brought to you is the word of God. And that's what it's all about. And that's to what we are to be devoted. Fellowship. Devoted themselves to, not fellowship, devoted themselves to the fellowship. And I think that's very important to recognize. A better way of understanding this fellowship is to look at verse 44. They held everything in common. True fellowship means more than just enjoying one another's company. Um, true fellowship is an interdependence on one another. It's a, it's, a, it's a trusting of one another. It's a giving of ourselves to one another. It's sharing life. That's the fellowship that is being nurtured here in this early church. Too many of our fellowships are somehow structured for us, scheduled for us. Fellowship Sunday schools, fellowship Sunday morning, fellowship Monday night of house to house, fellowship Wednesday night house to house, fellowship for the special events that we have. It's much, much more than that. It is a kinship in Christ. We're brothers and sisters. <laughs> We're family. We have to accept the fact that we belong to each other as we belong to Christ himself. 
In verse 46, it says that they gathered day by day. Now, if you recognize how this story has progressed, that already 3,000 people have come to accept Christ. Now, I'm not imagining that 3,000 people got to get together every day for this fellowship. But I think what this is saying, that within that grouping of 3,000 new believers, they were finding ways to connect with one another through the day. And that's not foreign to you and me. We can do that. You know someone that's not feeling well within the fellowship. You can call and give them a, just, see, just see how they're doing. What can we do for you? You know within the fellowship there, there might be somebody has a project that you could help them with. You know that somebody in the fellowship, a single mom that might need some help with kids. You know in the fellowship, the, a shut-in that just needs a visit. You know that someone in this church might need a, someone just to come alongside and listen. I mean, that's the fellowship. We, are, we have to be mindful of one another. We have to think of one another as truly family. And that's the fellowship that, uh, that Luke is talking about in this, in this particular passage. This whole thing of holding things in common. Um, I don't know if that's really something that we can appreciate. <clears throat> and I say that again because I think of the cultural influences on us. We are a culture of um, acquisition, accumulation, possession. We want stuff, and we want a lot of stuff. And when we get it, it's ours. And we're not all that ready to share it with anybody else. I think, again, the culture has, con- has contributed to a misunderstanding of what is ours and why it is ours. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Do you know why Jesus? Or you know why God blessed the Hebrew children, so they could be a blessing to those around them. Do you know why Jesus blesses us, so that we can share the blessings that we receive from Him? These possessions that we have are temporal. They won't last. But what we have, we can share with one another. I'm convinced, I really believe this with all my heart, that this church is a church that does understand what it means to share. Because I have seen you rally around the person who has an extreme need, and generosity just pours out from this congregation. That's, the, that's what we mean by holding it in common. It doesn't mean that we're going to take out everything that we have and sell it and put it in a pool and just you know, wait to when you have to dole it out to somebody. It's being, again, going back to fellowship, it's being sensitive that when there's a need, we are quick to respond. And that's what this is all about. Breaking of bread. We like to do that. And we got that down pretty good. Uh, we do it quite regularly. Now, this can be considered possibly as a reference to communion. But it's much, much more than that. It really is the opening of homes, sharing a common meal. And the significance of what can happen when you share in that informality around a table. And, and really, not just enjoy the meal, but listen to the conversation. Great things happen in regard to the fellowship, the body of Christ. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divert here just a minute, <clears throat> because I'm going to tell you a story that some of you know from beginning to end, and some of you know a little bit in the middle, and some of you know one end or the other, but haven't heard the whole thing put together. And you might remember on... Um, May 17th, we had a baptism in this church. Remember Luna being baptized? You remember her testimony? You need to know how that started. That started by Luna walking in her neighborhood with her two dogs. Jan got to know her and talked to her. Meredith got to know her and talked to her. During that early encounter, 
Luna's husband, Ralph, had a stroke. They don't have any connections in the community at all. But Matt and Meredith were there to minister to that family. It was a Thanksgiving dinner that Beth and Matt and others, Randy, I think you were there, that, that, that there was an invitation for them to come. There was a Bible study, I think, that you also had invited Luna to come to. There was an opportunity to recognize um, that Luna was expecting a baby. And there were three couples that got together to decide to have a shower for her and had her come over the house and presents were given. And I'll never forget Luna's expression when she says, I've never had a shower before. Well, Luna, you never had a baby before, you know, like a revelation there. But she and, and her mom and dad were there from China and couldn't speak a word of English. And that translated to the point that Luna asked three couples from this church to go and have supper with her and her husband and her mom and dad who can't speak English, who are Buddhists. And we're sitting around the table. All the guys, you know, they go out on the porch and leave me with all the women and two people who can't speak English. <laughs> and Luna begins to tell her story. She says that she had been, she really was intrigued about Christianity. She, she had a Christian friend that worked with her and was talking about Christ. And she said, you know what attracts me to this thing, Christianity? is how Christians love one another. They seem to have a peace and they have a joy that the world doesn't have. She was, she was seeing this. Then she starts asking questions. And I'm so glad that Beth, Meredith, and Jan were there because I didn't you know, women, ladies. So I, let them, I just let them talk. And, and they found out that she'd been reading the Bible. She had read two assignments that Matt had already given her and that she had read C.S. Lewis works as well. And as Beth, as Beth and Meredith and Jan were talking to her and sharing Christ with her, Luna is translating it in Chinese for her mom and dad who are Buddhists. Around a table, ministering to Buddhists. When have you ever had an experience like that? That's, that's the whole thing about this informality and, it's, and an openness just to bring people into your life. Just bring them into your life. And out of that, and in so many ways that you people touched her life, she had come to know Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Let's have some more Lunas. What do you say? I like that. Breaking of bread. We have mentioned that. Prayers. If you ever just read through the book of Acts, <clears throat> I think you'll discover their prayers are a little bit different than ours at a prayer meeting. <laughs> These last, this, this last week with Matt putting together this prayer revival where we began on Sunday night and went through Wednesday, I, I really began to have a, a deeper appreciation of this discipline, of this exercise, of this privilege of prayer as he continued to point us to the scriptures of how to pray. It was, it was really a, a tremendous experience for me personally. But I'm afraid somehow the prayers that embrace our personal lives as well as possibly the church itself are a bit sterile. I have a checklist. Lord, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? That's all I do. I just lay for it before him. I want this. I want that. And see what happens. And if something happens, I say it's answered prayer. But if you go through the book of Acts and recognize what they pray for, it's amazing. They, they prayed for healing. Yeah. But at the same time, they were praying for God to just come into that life as the healing was to take place. They prayed for boldness. 
that they would have the courage, even in the midst of persecution, to speak boldly of Jesus Christ. They prayed for opportunities to take the gospel to others. They were looking for open doors. And when a door was closed, as an example of Apostle Paul, he looked for another one. He wasn't content just to set, as a church shouldn't be. They prayed over the selection of leaders. They prayed that there would be a missionary effort as they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out from Antioch to begin the great missionary work of the apostles. And, and I'm afraid that sometimes we're a bit hesitant to pray so boldly. To pray, Lord, set before me this day someone that I can talk to about Jesus Christ. Set before me someone who needs to discover what it means to find life in Jesus. Lord, I pray that within this congregation, you right now are putting your hand on someone to be called to a ministry that may take them from this congregation and put them somewhere else for the sake of missionary work, starting a new church, starting a new ministry or whatever. We release them in the name of Jesus instead of just trying to keep everybody together. <laughs> we got to be sending them out. And that's exactly what was happening in the early church. We've got, a, we've got a board meeting coming up, or an annual meeting come up pretty soon, and a board meeting as well, that, that's going through the process, process now of selecting leaders for this church. It shouldn't be this the prayer of the pastor or the board over this, this exercise. Each and every one of us should be praying, who is it that God wants to set before us as the leaders of this church? Those who will serve as deacons and deaconesses, and those who will serve as trustees and treasurers, and those who will serve as Sunday school uh, superintendents and, and music committee and, and all. We should be praying over this. It isn't, it isn't an election. <laughs> it's an appointment. It's God's appointment, and we should recognize that. Would we dare so pray that, Lord, you take some people out of this congregation and plant a new church? Lord, get, take 25 people right out of here next Sunday and plant a new church. Wow. Do we want to let it go, 25 people? You guys go ahead. I'm staying here. There are all kinds of things that, uh, that characterize this early church. Within the early church, there were prophets and there were teachers. There were shepherds. There were evangelists. Men who were equipped to, to, to serve the church, not for the sake of the church, but to, to build up the church, to, enforce the, to, to reinforce the ministry, the ministry of the church, to enable the church to be what the church was supposed to be. In Ephesians uh, 4, 11, 16, listen to this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain. We all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Every one of us is gifted for a particular reason within this body. And we need to invest that, that giftedness in this body for the sake that we have the responsibility of building each other up in the likeness of Jesus Christ. So that, that we truly become a light to this community. That the people, when they see this church, they see Jesus Christ. And we mature. We get away from the milk. We take in the meat. There was this thing of distributing. And they did it gladheartedly. Identified as people with glad and generous hearts. A Gallup poll recently took, was taken, and it was believed that 17% of the church today tithe. That's not true. 
Because when they went back and talked to the churches about the tithing practices, not just the individuals, they found out that only 3% in the church today tithe. And there's a more startling statistic that in most typical churches, over 40% within any congregation will give nothing to the church in one year. I don't call that uh, glad and generous hearts. <laughs> there, sh- there should be this, this, this joy in being able to release the things that God has entrusted to us, money as well as time, for the sake of the body of Christ, so that the body of Christ can function in the world today. So that the body of Christ can send out missionaries. So the body of Christ can plant new churches. So the body of Christ can distribute Bibles around the world. If if you wonder where you stand in this whole thing of glad and generous hearts, just look at your checkbook or check your calendar and see how much of your time or your money is spent for the work of the body of Christ the church. I'm gonna, I, you know, I wrestle with this, but I'm going to say it anyway, I, and, and, and this may be my last sermon here. But I'm convinced of this. If you open your checkbook and you spend more money on your entertainment and on your vacations and, and, on, um, and your hobbies than you do the church, I think you've got to deal with this personally with Christ. I think that represents something less than glad and generous hearts. I've said. There is the element of praising and worshiping God. That should be a characteristic of the church today. To praise and worship God. And not just on Sunday morning or not just when we gather. Praise and worship should be a part of our everyday life. We should get up in the morning and say, praise God. I confess I don't do that every morning. But that's something that needs to be in our minds, in the fiber of our very lives. It was, uh, it was uh, Philip Yancey in his book, Church, Why Bother? And he writes this, Church exists primarily not to provide entertainment or to encourage vulnerability or to build self-esteem or to facilitate friendships, but to worship God. If it fails in that, it fails as his church. We come here together not to be together just to enjoy one another. We come here to be together to enjoy the presence of a living God. To recognize we have an opportunity to say to him, I love you, Lord, and I want to serve you. And I want this love to spill over my everyday life, not just on Sundays or Wednesday nights. I want it to be the very fiber of my life. And they had favor with God, where they had favor with all people. The church should be something that's attractive. People should be attracted to us because they see something in our lives. Like Luna saw in your lives. Joy, peace. Um, what was the other one? Joy, peace, love. Yeah, you got to see all these things in your life. It's these little encounters that attract people. It's not just bringing them to church. You know, if you brought the average person in the world today to church, they are totally just lost as what's going on in here. They don't speak Christianese. They don't understand what the lyrics are to the song. They can't figure out why we get up and why we sit down. And why is it every time they come to church, somebody wants money? That's not what church is all about. They need to see you as a genuine person who loves them. They are not a project. You're not going after them to win them to come to church. You are loving them in a Jesus Christ fellowship. You're loving him in a Jesus Christ body. 
It may be a seed planted here by you and a seed planted by somebody else. That's the interesting thing about Luna. How many people planted their lives for her to find Jesus Christ? Every one of us contribute to this, this discovery of, of who Jesus is and finding favor in those who have contacted or made the touch. And the Lord added to their number daily. You know, um, I... I, I I think we get the feeling somehow we've got to grow this church. We've got to fill the sanctuary. That's not it at all. We are supposed to grow the body of Christ. And if you touch somebody's life for Jesus and they choose to go, down the church, to go to the church down the road and they are in fellowship with Christ, praise the Lord. It has nothing to do with filling, filling pews. It has everything to, to do to point people to the kingdom of God. That's what the church is all about. I was quoted one time, we had a group of pastors come to the, the, the denominational offices, and, and I sat them down, and they wanted to ask questions, a Q&A. And, um, and one of the pastors, one of the new pastors said to me, what about the distinctives of the Advent Christian Church? What do they mean to you? And I said, I was raised Advent Christian. I, I believe in the distinctives. I think they, they speak specifically to matters that help me understand of where I am in relationship to Christ and what's before me as I follow him as my Lord and Savior. And then I went on and I said, but I said this. I'm in this position as executive director not to make people have in Christians. I'm in this position as executive director to point people to Jesus Christ. I, I forgot I had said that. And we were in a group about, oh, five or six years later. And this pastor was in that same group. He said, I'll never forget when I came to the national offices, I was expecting to hear everything about Advent Christians, and what I heard was about the kingdom of God. And that's what we're all about. At General Conference, at this church, or wherever we claim Jesus Christ as the head, we are about the kingdom of God. Okay, I've got to wrap it up. Matt's sick, and I'm taking more time than he usually takes. Golly. I'm going to quote one of the most famous resources that we all are familiar with, Facebook. We will never change the world by going to church. We will only change the world by being the church. You can call it a place. You can call it a time. You can call it a program. You can call it anything you want to call it. But I'm going to tell you, it's a community of believers who are passionately pursuing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, elevating him to the point that he is in charge in charge of each and every life within the body of Christ and for the whole corporate body, the universal church. The church is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God, and a community of believers. Let our lives reflect the sacredness of this precious relationship that we have with Jesus that he has offered to you and to me through the church. Amen.